we're in that little book of Jude. And if you've not been with us, Jude lays it out while he's writing. He says, I'm writing that we earnestly contend for the faith because there's lots of false teachers out there. And he's been telling us about the false teachers. He's primarily been focused on the, the fact that they're ungodly. They're ungodly in their lifestyle. They're ungodly in their theology. And that judgment is going to come. And, and Jude likes pictures. He likes repetition. He kind of always continues to circle back. We'll see that again today. But now, finally, here in verse 17 through 23, he tells us as believers, okay, in this world with lots of false teachers, what are we to do with it? How are we to handle it? How are we to, to move ahead in a way that would be honoring to the Lord? And so let's read it together. I'll read out loud. If you'll follow along in your Bible, that would be great. But you, beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So three things he tells us. The first thing is you need to remember right? You need to remember, false teachers are a part of the journey. So that's why as believers, we ought to always have our antennae up. We ought to take everything that we hear, the songs that we sing, the, the truths that, that are being espoused, and lay them down next to the Word of God. You know, one of the things that we believe in so strongly is the priesthood of every believer, you are a believer priest, and you have the responsibility of taking the things that you hear, even from up here, and lay them down next to the Word of God and say, okay, is that truth? Is that what the, the Bible says? And so what he's doing here now is he's focusing on how do we live this out. So, so much of this book has been written about false teachers, but did you notice here in verse 17, but he says, but you beloved. This is a favorite term. He used it in verse 1, to those who are called the beloved in God. He used it in verse 3, beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you, to appeal to you, to contend earnestly. So then he starts talking about the false teachers, and he's talking about them. Now he comes back to us, but you beloved. This is what you need to do. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourself up. This is now what we are to do. We are to remember. False teachers are going to be a part of our journey. They're going to be around. It's been predicted. He talks about how they were predicted by the apostles of Christ. Well, even Jesus predicted them, right? You go back to the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. 
where, where Jesus there, back in Matthew chapter 7, beware of the false prophets. They're going to come. They're going to be part of our journey. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Then later on, the week that Jesus is going to the cross, and he's talking about the end times and when he's going to return. One of the things he says as we get closer to the end time, many false prophets will rise and will mislead the many. You think of what Peter says, and of course they're in 2 Peter, which is kind of a companion book to Jude. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. It's a part of our journey. We need to be alert. We need to be listening critically and with, with, with a tuning fork to the Word of God. Is this truth is this what the bible says and in second peter chapter three and i think this is probably what jude is actually referencing here is peter's statement knowing this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following their own lust saying where is the promise of his coming the last days you know when you look at the false teachers and i know some of you uh have come up to me afterwards and uh mentioned a few people and you know and and i've struggled with that because i could stand up here and name names right and say okay hey be careful and be careful and be careful and and yet the problem is is sometimes that gets it focused on individuals and it's really interesting that jude hasn't done that jude could have done that too so i think that what i've decided to do is no let's, let's just put the truth out and let because each of us need to be discerning what are we listening to what are we letting into our mind and what he says is is that we are to remember now what has he told us about false teachers well you go back to verse four and we're reminded that false teachers come in lots of different forms he uses that phrase certain people have snuck in unawares right so some of them are big and famous and they have tv shows and they're all over that and some of them quite honestly kind of quiet they sit in the back they sit in the chair next to you uh they come in lots of different things they're hard to identify because false teachers what he tells us they've crept in unnoticed they don't come waving the flag of here's my heresy right in fact one of the things that false teachers are great about is they use the right terms they they have sometimes just enough truth that it's, it, it sounds right, it sounds good, they're using, but that they're defining terms differently. They're, they're, they're using it in a different way. And so you, we got to understand that sometimes that's difficult, so we have to be very clear. Thirdly, what they do is they pervert the truth. In verse 4, he talks about how they take the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. Again, just enough truth to make it sound good, but now they take the truth and they turn it into a lie and an error to build, to build a deception, quite honestly, that people want to hear. You know, Paul said to Timothy, you know, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. We, we build the idol that we want to worship. And that's what false teachers do. Now, we've mentioned, you get the idea through this that Jude really, really, really dislikes false teachers, right? He's he's been pretty blunt about it. And and you see it again in in all that he said, and now he's focused with us. But but you get here to verse, what is it? Verse... uh, 
verse 19, and he just can't help but take one more shot at him. These are the ones, and now he gives three characteristics, who cause divisions, who are worldly-minded, who are devoid of the Spirit. They cause division. Why? Because they're not speaking truth. And so in the community, one of the things that, that happens is they begin to teach, and you have people that are laying it down to the Word of God, and they're saying, that's not true. And you have others that are just listening indiscriminately, going, but it sounds good. It's what I want. And that begins to create division. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is there are people who kind of go from church to church to church, and one of the things that happens, they can't be there more than two, three, four years, and wherever they've been, there ultimately is division. And then, of course, they go to a new church, and it was all the old church's fault, but in two, three, four years, there's going to be this division, they're going to be off someplace else. Be careful, it's a sign. You know, one of the things that we, he talked about, that they, they reject authority. Right? They don't want, and so they create division. The second thing he talks about is they're worldly-minded. We've talked about this. The word he keeps using is ungodly. They're ungodly. They're ungodly. They, they, this is not about trying to serve Jesus. This is not about trying to do what's right before him. This is about them. This is about what they want. This is about amassing a following. They are worldly-minded. They live for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. The third thing he mentions here, and boy, again, you talk about pretty blunt. They are devoid of the Spirit. His whole point is they're, they, don't, they don't have Christ in them. They, they're... They're not a part of the faith. They're, there's a deception. And, and they'll talk about, you know, this vision or that dream or what God told them to do. But the point is they're devoid of the Spirit. This is who they are. So we are, first of all, to remember they're going to be there. So we have to have our antennae up. We have to be careful about what we read. I mean, you know, I... I Every once in a while, something will come out, and you know, and it kind of sweeps through the church. And it, sometimes you, you get looking at it, and you just go, "Where did this come from?" But the church, you know, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the big C church. But there, there's this heart to run to these things, but it does not line up with the Word of God. We got to be very clear. The second thing, now he says in verse 20 and 21. Uh, is this idea, and I use the word refocus, right? Because you got to have three words to start with an R. There you go. There's preaching 101 for you. Refocus. The idea is to fiercely lean into Jesus. And, and this just so blessed me. I, I mean, what a great reminder. You know, sometimes I think we make, we make Christianity so hard. I mean, I mean, for, you know, people like myself who... who you know, known Jesus for a long time, right? Over 50 years. Been to Bible college, right? And, and we can get into the nuances and we can get into the, the fine things. And, and what a re fresh reminder that following Jesus isn't rocket science. It's not that you have to have an, an MDiv degree past your name, right? It's really pretty simple. And for people like myself who have known Jesus forever, 
pretty simple. And for people who just accepted Jesus yesterday, it's pretty simple. Here's the four things you need to do. And this is what he says. Number one, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith. The first thing it does is we're told to get into the word. How you grow in your faith is through the word of God. Build yourself up. Well, how do I build myself up? Well, God gave me his word. This is what he wants us to know. Remember there in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the Ephesian believers, uh, elders there, and he says, now I, co- I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. You want to, you want to be able to discern truth? Get into the Word. Read the Word. Study the Word. This is our standard. This is the Word of God. It does not change. This is, the, this is what he has given us. This is how you and I build ourselves up, is to get in the Word. Now, here's the thing. Most every one of us knows that, right? But don't we all struggle with it? The discipline. Regularly getting into the Word, regularly meditating on the Word, regularly studying the Word, reading the Word. It's not hard. Pretty simple. He's given us a love letter. Read it. Study it. Remember what Peter said? Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow by it. The Word. Folks, That's what he calls us to do. Get into the word. Set that discipline into your life. The second thing then he says is praying. He uses this expression praying in the Holy Spirit. The idea is we're to seek the Lord through prayer. So again, not rocket science, right? You maybe have heard this from day one. How do you grow in your relationship with the Lord? You get into the word. Secondly, you pray. Why? Because it's through the word that we get most of our intake of what we, we hear God speaking to us and through prayer is how we speak back to him. And it's this relationship. You know, we say all the time, it's not religion, it's relationship. Well, how does that happen? Through the word and through prayer. Sharing our heart with the Lord, talking to him, sharing the, you know, as we read the word and the things that we see, that conviction. And so we repent of that and we express to God our need for his help. It's relationship. Now, it's an interesting expression, praying in the Holy Spirit. Paul actually uses this expression in Ephesians 6. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And there's a lot of debate about this. There's a lot of discussion. Uh, It was interesting looking and processing into some of the different commentators. and some would look at this as, as more of the idea of, of, of charismatic prayer. So uh, as you understand from 1 Corinthians that God uh, has, at least in times past, given this gift of tongues. And, and in the Corinth church, it was, it was like a prayer language. It was a language with which Paul talks about you talk to God, not to men. And, it, it, and it's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives you. And so a lot of people have looked at this and say when he says pray, in the spirit that that's what he's referencing and it's possible but let me just 
you know, as I've looked at it, I, I don't think, I really don't think that's what he's talking about. First of all, that's not what the phrase meant in the early church writings. But secondly, to me, it's, it's, it's even easier to understand why I don't think that's, it's that. Because he's talking to all of us, right? He's talking to every believer, beloved. What's he going to say? Get into the Word. Every one of us can do that, right? You don't need a Bible degree. You don't need a special word of knowledge. You can just study the Word. Every believer can study the Word. Next thing he's going to say is to obey the Word. You know what? Every one of us can do that, right? The, the next thing he's going to tell us is that we need to focus on heaven, right? Every one of us can do that. But yet one of the things that we know about if you know, this idea of tongues or prayer language is Paul is really clear in 1 Corinthians 12 that not every believer has that. So why would he then say, hey, this is what you need to do, and yet for many Christians, they don't have the gift to do it. So I don't think that's what he means when he says pray in the Spirit. I think what he means when he says pray in the Spirit is you pray in alignment with the Holy Spirit, with what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart. Probably the best way I could illustrate it is, you know, Jesus told us to pray in his name, right? And many of us have grown and we understand that when you mean pray in the name of Jesus, it doesn't mean to pray whatever you want and then tag on in Jesus' name, amen, right? Lord, I want to win the lottery in Jesus' name, amen, right? Or, or Lord, I want to marry this person even though they're not a Christian in Jesus' name, amen, right? That doesn't make, that, that doesn't do it, right? Because that's not what it means. What it means to pray in Jesus' name is to pray in alignment with what Jesus would want, correct? That if Jesus were here in this same situation, this is what he would be asking for because this is in alignment with his will. I think that's the same idea that we're to pray in the Spirit. We pray in alignment with the Spirit, that this is what the Spirit would want. This is what the Spirit is leading me to ask for. And the cool thing is in Romans 8, Paul tells us that you know, even in those moments when we don't even know quite what to ask for, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us right with groanings and utterings we can't even utter so we can trust him with that but his point here is this is what we're to do number one you're getting the word number two you're to pray number three he uses his expression keep yourself in and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week but keep yourself in this is on us right keep yourself in the love of god now what does he mean what he means is walk in the protection that God has given you. And I can't help but think that Jude very specifically had Jesus' words in mind in John 15. So John 15, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus gives them this beautiful picture, right? I'm the vine, you are the branches. They're walking by the vineyard and all of this, and then you get down to verses 9 and 10. He says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. All right? Don't we all want to abide in the love of Christ, right? Wouldn't that be good? Yes. How do you do that? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So when Jude says here, keep yourself in the love of God, how do we do that? We do that by walking in obedience. Here's the problem. So many of us have this idea that the, that the 
word of God, the commands of God are a weight, they're a, they're a burden. They be, almost become a barrier to keeping us from doing what we want to do. And we see them as not being helpful, and yet God sees them as the very, very best for us. And for every one of us in here who's a parent, you know, we can kind of see it from the other side, right? We've got children. And children don't always understand why we tell them not to do things, right? They sometimes think we're just killjoys. You know, I don't want you climbing up on the roof to jump into the pool, right? Because you are going to hurt yourself. Or when the kids are little, hey, don't go by the pool without mommy or daddy. That's why we have a gate. Don't do that. Why? Because we know that it will hurt them. And kids sometimes think we got it out. Sometimes kids think we're just trying to keep back from them having fun. And so they skirt the rules. And what happens? They end up in pain. They end up hurt. And God desperately loves us. He wants the best for us, right? He kind of demonstrated that in sending Jesus for us. And so his, bur his rules, his, his pieces of obedience are, are not there to keep us from, from knowing joy in our life. It's to keep us from the pain and the hurt of sin. I can't tell you how many times I've sat talking to a young woman or an older woman in my, my office and just with tears and heartache. And she's married to a man who doesn't, is not a believer. And though she loves him, there's just, there's, there's no connection point. There's no deep intimacy. And she's just broken hearted because she begins to realize all that she ever wanted, she's not going to be able to have. And yet come to find out, she married him knowing God said, don't marry an unbeliever. And now she's in all this pain that God wanted to protect her from. I see it with young couple. In fact, I've heard one of these stories today. God says that we are to, to not live together, that we are to keep sex for marriage, right? We talk about that. It, it is only within the confines of marriage. And yet today we think, okay, God's holding back on us. God's trying to keep us from stuff. And Christian young people all the time, they move in together. But the chance of you end up getting married, because, well, we're going to get married. We love each other. Our thing is different. And it's how many times it never works out that way. Something happens. There's an issue. And all of a sudden, there's hurt. There's pain. There's, there's all kinds of brokenness now in our heart. Because we didn't listen to the Lord. He wasn't saying no because he was holding back. He was saying no because it's not time. He's trying to protect us. I mean, I think about how his word tells us that we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't hold grudges, right? We should forgive. But we kind of think, oh, man, you know, God, you don't know my situation. You don't know how bad they hurt me. I'm entitled to this. And what we don't see is down the line that that bitterness in our soul was going to break other relationships in our life. Now we're left alone with all these broken relationships and it's just simply we did not listen. His point is, listen, get in the word. Pray. Have a relationship with Jesus. And keep yourself in the love of Christ. Walk in obedience. That's where the protection is. 
And then the last thing he says here in verse 21 is, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Stay focused on eternity. You know, that's at the heart of our Christian worldview. Folks, if, if we don't do this, that's what sucks us into the world. That's what causes us to start listening to false teachers. Because we start trying to listen to, you know, the things about, hey, how to do this and how to do that and have the best life now and whatever. And it's like, no, no, we're supposed to live for that day. I couldn't help but think of that passage in Colossians chapter 3. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Why? This earth is passing away. This earth, all that is of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are not of the Father. They're of this world. They're going to bring you hurt. They're going to bring you pain. Stay focused on Jesus. Live for the day that we will stand before him. Fiercely lean into Jesus. It's not rocket science. Get in his word. Build your relationship with him. Spend time with him in prayer. Listen to what he tells you to do. Walk in obedience. And keep thinking. Keep your mind focused. This world is not our home. We're just here. Live on mission. The last thing he mentions, and i got to hurry here, in verses 22 and 23, are then this idea that we've got to reach out. So number one, remember. Number two, refocus. Number three, remember, or reach out. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others watching them out, or snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Um, I think there's actually three groups now that he's talking to us about. Group one would be those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. They're doubting. They're being swayed by false teachings. His point is be merciful. Uh, don't, don't, don't always just go with the hard edge, the hammer. I, I see Christians that do this all the time. That just, it, it's, they're so, you know, they're all in the truth bucket and they have nothing in the love bucket, right? And I see others that are all love and no truth, right? You kind of got to get the mixture right here. Why? Because the truth is you get further with honey than you do vinegar. It just happens. And as a pastor, I've had to learn this. I mean, I think one of the greatest heretical teachings that's out there in America today is this prosperity gospel. That God wants every Christian to be healthy, wealthy, and, and, and happy all the time, right? And just that, but I don't think that's what Scripture says. And the problem is when you, when you begin to embrace that and you begin to live and then life doesn't work out that way, guess what? It's on you. Somehow you've let God down. Somehow you have failed. And the guilt and the pressure that comes with that, and it just destroys people. But every time I mention it, it seems like I get somebody's a little upset, right? Because they're, they're, they're reading the books, right? You know, God wants us to have all. And one of the things that I've just learned is I, I, I'm going to share truth, I'm gonna, but I'm going to do it kindly because the reality is you go down that path at some point, you're going to see it just it doesn't work. It's not the way life is. This world is not our home, right? 
And I want to be a place where somebody feels like, hey, this is a safe place. Yeah, Steve tried to, to warn me, but he did it gently. A place we can go back to. Group number two are the ones he talks about snatching from the fire. And by the way, I, I wish I had time and I'm out of time. In fact, I'm already one minute over. Uh, but this is really tied into Zechariah chapter 3. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write that one down. Go read it because he's kind of quoting from there. Uh, by snatching from the fire. Uh, are those that are being led astray because of heretical teachings... Uh, and, and so they're not even coming to know Christ. With those, we've got to be a little bit more aggressive, right? You, you think of the people who, who somehow have heard that you're saved by works. They're not saved by works. And if we don't get them the truth, they're, they're going to end up going to hell. You think of Mormonism. You think of Jehovah's Witness. You think of Buddhism. You think of all these other religions that are leading people to a path that's heading to hell. And so we've got to be about apologetics. We've got to be about sharing the gospel. We've got to be about the truth. And so that we, we understand that snatching from the fire. We, we need at points to be aggressive to pray for them. The third group seems to be actually the, the false teachers themselves. Because one of the things that... <laughs> one of the things that uh, is easy for us to do is we, we... In fact, I've had a few of you mentioned some of the individuals that are out there today. And it's just to categorize them as a false teacher and then write them off. And to understand that we're also to have some mercy on them. Right? Just because someone's a false teacher today doesn't mean God can't change their heart. He's a God of redemption. Right? I mean, do you remember the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, actually started out as Saul, actually kind of persecuted the church, right? Was a bit of a false teacher himself. God wasn't done with him. So this idea of mercy, but mercy with fear, and then he uses this picture of, of hating even the garment that is polluted by the flesh. And again, you're in Zechariah chapter 3. The garment there has the idea of an undergarment. And polluted by the flesh is the idea, I don't mean to be gross this morning, but it's the idea of it, it's, it, it's the excrement. It's the, it's the bodily waste that comes out. I mean, what's more gross than that, right? Because of false teaching, and his point is, we need to pray, but we need to also be careful that we don't get sucked in because you don't want that contaminating your life also. And so Jude says, okay, beloved, false teachers are out there. You've got to remember, they're going to be there. You've got to have your tenai up. You've got to be listening all the time and listening critically. Number two is, is you've got to focus hard on Jesus, right? Get in his word, pray. Walk in obedience. Live for that day we stand before Jesus. And then we need to understand that we're also his hands and feet. So to those that are doubting, to those that are starting to move and being swayed, man, we need to love them. We need to speak truth to them. To those that are being deceived by the falsehood so that they don't even know Jesus, we need to be talking to them about Christ. And, and then also understanding that God can even change their life. That's what we're called to do.